Hey, everybody. This is Brian Zond. Welcome to my sermon podcast. Before we get into the sermon, though, I want to tell you about an online class coming up in November when everything's on fire. This is a class designed to help you navigate the pressure that sometimes comes upon you in the modern age trying to sustain Christian faith. I really think I can help you in that process. And so here's what it's going to be. Monday nights in November, the live classes are from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central. I'll present for about an hour, and then we'll have 30 minutes of Q&A. But you don't have to participate in the live classroom to uh, be a part of this. You can uh, access the recordings with a donation of any amount. So a donation of any amount gets you into the class. And uh, if you need more information or you're ready to register, go to wolc.com slash fire for the When Everything's on Fire online class in November. Good morning, Word of Lifers, in-house and online. It's first snow of the season, and it came on a Saturday night. Does the weather not know there are seven days in a week? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. It's, it's what it is. <clears throat> All right, well, on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to preach on the kingdom imagination. Um, as we've been stressing this morning, Christ the King Sunday is the culmination of the Christian calendar. So what we do is we have this calendar that tells the story of Jesus it begins, we'll start again next Sunday. It begins with the anticipating of the coming of Christ. And then it goes through the whole story. And um, it ends how? It ends with the declaration that Jesus Christ is king. Now, the New Testament reading for Christ the King Sunday is from the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. I want to read that to you. Ephesians 1, verse 18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen. So the gospel story reflected in the Christian calendar doesn't end with the resurrection of Jesus. It ends with an emphasis on the enthronement of Jesus. 
that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm. Now remember, the heavenly realm is not a distant place. It isn't that Jesus is now far away and one of these days he'll traverse the great vast distance and come to where we are. No, remember he does say prior to his ascension, I'm with you. He's not, he's not saying, I'm going to go away. I'll be way far away. And one of these days I'll come. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. And so the heavenly realm is not a distant place. It's a different dimension. So the heavenly realm is right here. It's right here. The heavenly realm is right here. And Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God in the heavenly realm. Where is the right hand of God? Everywhere. And Christ is, we're told by the Apostle Paul, far above any ruler, any authority, any power, or any leader. In another epistle, Paul says it this way. He said, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, the exaltation of Jesus Christ as the true Lord in this world and in the world to come is to be understood as a present reality. There is this world, there is, there is this world this material world, but then there is the world to come, which is an eternal world. This world, see, we tend to think, okay, this, this is the real substantial world because I, I can touch it. And this, this heavenly thing we keep talking about, that's less real. No, it's, you've got it flipped wrong. This world is a shadowy world. This is the shadow lands. This world is a shadowy reflection of the eternal world that is to come. And the beauty that occasionally we see in this shadowy world is actually glimmers of another world, rumors of another world breaking into this one. And so there is this world, shadowy, ephemeral, temporal, but there is the world to come, substantial, glorious, weighty, eternal. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus is Lord, the Apostle Paul says, in both worlds. Jesus is Lord, yes, 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 he's Lord in the age to come. Or we could say it this way, in, in the realm of the heavens, Jesus is Lord. But Jesus is Lord right here. Right here. Right now. Uh, Jesus is Lord of this present world. Jesus is not Lord elect. You know, sometimes, you know, you elect someone to office, but then there's a waiting time before they take office. Jesus is not Lord elect waiting to take office. Jesus is Lord here and now, right now, here and now. We're not, we're not kicking the can down the road waiting for Jesus to become Lord actually. No, he's actually Lord right now. Now, this is, without hyperbole, the great revelation that 20 years ago changed my theology and changed my life. That the kingdom of God is real and it's right now. 
that Jesus is Lord is actually a political statement and it's real right now. That revelation changed my theology and my life 20 years ago. It's the revelation that the kingdom of Christ is not postponed, but present. But you have to have the eyes to see it. I'm looking around for some of the OGs, some of the original gangsters here at Word of Life Church. Uh, anybody remember me 20 years ago? I was saying all the time, I've got new eyes. Anybody, can somebody bear witness? I see a few. I'm not making this up. 20, I, I, something happened. And I said, I've got new eyes. I'm still reading the same Bible. I'm still looking at the same world. And yet it all looks different now because I have new eyes. Well, this is exactly what the apostle Paul was praying would happen to the saints of God there in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart. The eyes of your heart. What, what, what are the eyes of the heart? Well, I think it's basically what we call imagination. I think it's basically what we call imagination. You know, there's these eyes, these physical eyes. You know, we get that. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about eyes of the heart. I think that's mostly what we mean when we talk about imagination. Paul prays that these saints in Ephesus would have their imaginations enlightened. How does this happen? It happens in the holy way by the Holy Spirit. Imagination is the means by which we see beyond the material world and beyond the status quo, because both of which are limiting. The material world and the status quo are limitations. But there is a way of seeing beyond the limitations. It's when our imagination is awakened, enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Imagination, I mean, it can be, you can have no imagination. You can have a carnal imagination. Don't recommend that. You can have a demonic imagination. That, that's when things really go bad. Uh, you, see some, you see some of the evil in the world and you think, how did someone even dream that up? Well, that's a demonic imagination, but I don't want to talk about that. There is the imagination that comes from the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul's praying for. That's what he wants to have happen. And that's what will take us beyond the status quo. I mean, that's, that's where a lot of despair resides. A lot of despair is the result of a lack of imagination concerning the possibility of change. So we become like the jaded, cynical preacher of Ecclesiastes who begins this sermon, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. <laughs> I don't know about this sermon. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In verse nine, the preacher says, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Oh, well, see, there's an example of how you can't approach the Bible as just one flat text and say, okay, I have found the eternal unchanging truth in the word of God. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> well, no, this is a revelation of how that kind of philosophy, that lack of imagination will lead to despair. 
I mean, you could also listen to another preacher named Isaiah who speaks in the name of the Lord and says, behold, I do a new thing. Now it will spring forth, but will you perceive it? But will you perceive it? God says, I'll do new things. I am doing new things. I'm doing new things all the time. The question isn't whether I'm doing new things, it's whether you can see it or not. And so this is an allusion to the kingdom imagination, recognizing what God is bringing to pass in Christ. The eyes of the heart enlightened by the Holy Spirit to perceive the present and eternal reign of Christ is the kingdom imagination. So just try it. Just try it. Maybe close your eyes. I don't, you don't have to, but whatever. But just, just a little bit, just prompt a little bit of imagination now. Understand that it is imagination. But picture Christ as king. See him and however that comes to you. Maybe he has a crown, maybe a scepter, something like that. That which is regal, that which is royal. Picture Christ. See him now upon a throne. And see that throne not far away. In fact, right here, right here, right here, right here. Picture Christ right here on a throne crowned with a scepter. And then, if you can, this is a little bit more difficult, imagine that no matter where you go, Christ is right here, but if you go to the other side of the world, Christ is still right there. If you go to New Zealand, if you go to Australia, if you go to Africa, if you go to India, you go to Timbuktu, Christ is right there on that throne. Now, the end of the age, there's this age and the age. What happens at the end of the age, which we might describe because it kind of feels like that probably, second coming is actually nothing more than removing the veil. The parousia, the, the taking away of the veil. And suddenly that which has been the case is revealed. And suddenly the whole of humanity sees not which, that which is beginning, but that which has been the case, that Jesus is Lord seated upon the throne. Our prayer for the week. It's the final prayer in the collection of prayers that we pray throughout the church calendar. I think they save the best for last. I love this prayer. We'll be praying this all week. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things. I keep using that Greek word because I want to I get it into you. Apocatastasis. Apocatastasis. It's even fun to say apocatastasis. Go ahead and say it with me. Apocatastasis. That means the restoration of all things. It's in Acts 3.21 when the apostle Peter says, well, Christ must remain in the heavens until the time of the restoration of all things. And then the veil is taken away and we behold Christ and now we're really into the restoration of all things. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth divided and enslaved by sin are divisions that create strife and hatred. It's sin and it's deception. We're one. We're one. We're one humanity. We're one. 
The idea that we should be divided and that we should hate them. That's sin. Mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God. Now, now and forever. Now and forever. Not just to come, but now and forever. The church is the body of Christ embodying these realities right now. See, see, for the fallen world, we're talking about something that is future. But for the church, we're talking about something that is present right now. Now. The world without the illumination, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit says, look, I don't see Jesus, Lord. I don't see it. Well, they, they don't. And they might say, well, I'm, maybe that'll come to pass, but I don't see it now. The church on the other hand says, no, 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 no. The eyes of our heart have been enlightened. And we have the kingdom imagination to perceive that Christ is reigning and ruling right now. The great theologian Eves Congor said, the church is the world as believing in Christ. What is the church? The church is just, it's part of the world in one sense. I mean, we, we belong to this world. We belong to this humanity. The church, though, is the world as believing in Christ. What if the whole world believed in Christ? That's what the church is to look like. But what that does is it makes the world the world. When the church is faithful in what it believes and confesses, it looks radically different than the world. If we don't look radically different than the world, something is not right. Now, to believe and embody these realities, we must activate the kingdom imagination. For the kingdom imagination to be activated in your heart so that you can see new kingdom possibilities, you must intentionally resist the propaganda of empire. Empire is the chief enemy of the kingdom imagination. This is also something I was really preaching 20 years ago. It made a lot of people mad. It won't make you mad. You'll like it. But, um, the superpowers of this age, when I say empire, I just mean rich, powerful nations that believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. Oh, the hubris of it all. Those are empires. When, when nations get too big, too powerful, too rich, it all goes to their head and they think, whew, we have a divine right to rule the nations. We have a manifest destiny to shape history according to our agenda. And God says, idolatry. I've given all that to my son, Jesus. Jesus is the one who has a divine right to rule the nations. Jesus is the one who has a manifest destiny to shape history according to the will of God. Now, the superpowers of this age insist that their way of arranging the world, and it varies from superpower to superpower, but the superpowers of this age insist that their way of arranging the world is the best way, the best way to arrange the world. You know, the Roman Empire had a motto, the new order of the ages. And, th and there's another empire that has the same thing on their great seal. You can ask me later. I'm not going to say now. The new order of the age. Oh, come on. 
It's just the same old thing. But because, because of the arrogance of the empires, the superpowers, they say, no, 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 our way of arranging the world is not only the best way, really it's the only way, so you don't even need to imagine anything else. We'll just serve it up to you. This is why in totalitarian regimes, you'll see, it's, it's interesting, in totalitarian authoritarian regimes, those powers always get nervous about poets and writers. They even, they even put them in jail. A poet, you're gonna put a poet in jail? How big a threat can they be? Well, actually they can be quite a threat. Why? Because poets and writers have unfettered imaginations. The empire says it has to be this way, it has to be this way, it has to be, and the poet and writer goes, I can think of a thousand different ways it could be. And so they resist their totalizing impulse. So Egypt did this, Babylon did this, Rome did this. China does it, Russia does it, America does it. But none of these empires are the kingdom of Christ and none of them can be the kingdom of Christ. What do we say about Jesus? We say what Paul says. He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Far above. Far above. The kingdom of Christ is far above any of the politics of this age. Come on, if I don't get an amen, I'll just come out there and grab you and shake you until you say amen. John the Revelator saw a lamb standing in the midst of the throne. He didn't see an elephant or a donkey. He saw a lamb. If you, if, you try to, if you try to put an elephant or a donkey up there with the lamb in the middle of the throne, well, it's just, all, it's just too crowded. There's no elephant, there's no donkey. There's only a lamb on the throne. And if you try to fit Jesus into the politics of this age, you destroy kingdom imagination. So you allow you know, your preferred politics to... to constrict your imagination and then, but you want to hold on to Jesus. So you try to take Jesus and fit him into that unimaginative partisan politics that have been given to you. And you try to fit Jesus into it, except what you end up with is a fake Jesus. Who's nothing more than a lackey for the powers that be. And we don't want to do that. The politics of Jesus are not the politics of empire. The politics of empire prioritized two things, economic supremacy and uh, military dominance. But these are not, surprise, the priorities of Jesus. Hello? And they're obviously not the priorities of his kingdom. So what, what are the priorities of Jesus? Well, you already know. You already know, you've known for a long time. You were reminded, you heard it today in the gospel reading for Christ the King Sunday, that at the end of the age, the king will appear upon his glorious throne with the angels with him. There'll be this appearance and the nations are gathered for what? Judgment. And what is the criterion for judgment? What is, what is the criteria by which Christ as king and judge, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, what is the criterion of judgment? Well, you know it. I was hungry and you fed me or didn't. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink or not. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Or said, no, you're not our kind. I was naked and you clothed me. Or not. I was sick and you took care of me. Or not. I was in prison and you came to me. Or not. And of course, both the sheep and the goats, because Jesus is dividing them, sheep and goats, sheep and goats. And the, both the sheep and the goats are a little bit confused. Oh, hold on here a minute. Jesus, King, your highness, when did we see you? Hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison? And helped you out or didn't help you out. When did we say, Jesus says, as much as you've done it or didn't do it, to the least of these, you did it or didn't do it to me. That's the priority of Jesus. That's the priority of his kingdom. And that's the criterion of judgment. At the end, the goats go to the fiery chastening of the age while the sheep enter into the life of that age. Jesus says, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you want to enter into the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world, be there now. Be there now. Just be there now. Because Jesus is Lord now and the church is his body now. Don't commit the eschatological sin of kicking the kingdom can down the road. What do I mean by that? Ah, oh, yeah, I know. I know. I know someday the lion and lamb will lie down together. But right now, it's dog eat dog. This is the way the world is. Oh, I know. I know someday the lion will lay down with the lamb. But not now. Right now, it's winner take all. That person has no kingdom imagination. They can't see it. They can't see that the king's right there, already judging. Someone says, well, yeah, I know. I know that uh, someday we'll turn our swords into plowshares, but not now. That's when Jesus comes back again. See, that's that, that's that hermeneutic, hermeneutical dodge. That's a little trick. That's a little kick. Just kick the can. Well, it doesn't count that he only came once. He has to come twice. And if he came twice and let people have their way, well, it's got to be a third time. You just keep kicking the can down the road. No, don't do that. The church is the place where the kingdom imagination is active now. The church is the place where the politics of Jesus are implemented now. The church is the place where the restoration of all things is underway now. I'm not trying to change the world. I keep preaching on that. But I am trying to change me and the church. Our job is not to change the world because if we try to change the world directly and we get obsessed with that, we will employ the means of the world to change the world. And guess what? We're just the world. No, our task is to be the world as already believing in Christ and already transformed by Christ so that we shine as a city upon a hill. Look, there's another way of doing it. Look how those people are. 
And then people. So the church is the place where the politics of Jesus are implemented. Now the church is the place where the restoration of all things is already underway right now. Not complete, but underway. The church is where Jesus serves Jesus. I know, I know that's a quizzical statement there. I put it up so you can see it. It's not a typo. <laughs> the church is where Jesus serves Jesus. The church is where The church is where Jesus as the body of Christ serves Jesus as the least of these. You understand that Jesus is both the body of Christ and the least of these. So that we could say it this way, when a Christian in the name of Christ welcomes the stranger, Christ welcomes Christ. This is Christ filling all things everywhere with himself. When a Christian in the name of Christ welcomes the stranger, Christ welcomes Christ. This is Christ filling all things everywhere with himself. This is what the apostle says. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And what is the apocatastasis, restoration of all things hope that we're moving toward? That God may be all in all. That God may be all in all. The restoration of all things ultimately is God loving God. Because we're all then called to participate in the divine nature. And we come into this holy unity with God loving God. One of the church fathers said that, I couldn't remember this week who it was. Might have been Maximus the Confessor. Might have been Gregory of Nyssa. It might have been somebody else. Couldn't find it. But it's true. And that's why, that's why it's true that the sacrament of communion is central to our worship. Because Sunday after Sunday, we come together and we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup that we might participate in the body and blood of Christ, that we might be the flesh and blood presence of Christ in this world. Ministering to the least of these who are also identified with Jesus. So that when a Christian in the name of Christ gives food, gives water, welcomes the stranger, clothes the naked, tends to the sick, Visit the prisoner. What you have is Christ, ministering to Christ, filling all things everywhere with himself. This is a beautiful and holy mystery. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. And let's get ready now to, to come to this table. The thing about <clears throat> Matthew 25 is to make sure and the sheep and the goats, is just to make sure that you're attached to the community of people that are doing that. It's hard to do all of this on your own. But together, together, in the name of Jesus, we minister to Jesus as the least of these by feeding and giving drink and welcome and clothing. 
tending the sick, visiting the prisoners. We do it together so that on that great day of judgment, Christ can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Blessed are you of my father. Enter the kingdom that's always been there. It's been the intention of the father from the very beginning that it be like this, but now it's finally breaking in. And we'll say, yeah, but we've already been living like that. And that's why Jesus says, yes, that's why you can enter now. Because you've already been living that way. Amen and amen. All right, join with me now in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.